1: It's that demonstration of Jesus' greatest commandment that we'll hear more about today on The Kingdom and Its Stories.
2: Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are around the world. Welcome to The Kingdom and Its Stories. My name is Julian Gibb from The Harvest Foundation. And this show is about talking about learning about how people are reaching out and being Jesus' hands and feet. We are all gifted in a certain way, and we are all given a certain mission to go out into the world to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so this show is, well, what about you? What about me, Julian? What am I meant to be doing? What are you meant to be doing? What is God calling you to do? Because it is only when we are working, when we are serving, being obedient to Christ, doing his will, that we find our true meaning in life. In fact, eternal life. But today, what about if, if, if I, Julian, or perhaps maybe yourself, what happens if we think we're not up to it? Perhaps there are things we've done and said in our past lives, i.e. the time up to now, uh, that we're ashamed of, things that uh, just eat away at us. You know, perhaps in one sense, we perceive that we are not worthy of being God's children and that there's nothing we can offer. Well, we're right on one account and wrong on another. We're right on the one account that we are not worthy. (laughs) I know that's not uh, politically correct. I know that's not something that uh, we want to hear, but the truth is that we are not worthy by ourselves. However, in the love of Jesus Christ, as we learn in Romans, he died for us whilst we were his enemy. So we are of a great worth through the blood of Jesus Christ. And that includes me and it includes. You. So today we're going to look briefly, we're going to do something a little different, and we're going to look at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, verses 11 to 32. That's the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, verses 11 to 32. And now, whether a Christian or not, you will instantly recognize today's parable. Over the centuries, it's been given a number of names. There's the lost son, the running father, or as you may know it, The Prodigal Son. It's perhaps one of Christ's best-known parables, one that is respected by both Christian and non-Christian alike. It's inspired writers and poets and musicians, artists for hundreds of years, from Rodyard Kipling to Rembrandt to the Rolling Stones. (laughs) There's a song uh, they sing, and uh, it's entitled The Prodigal Son, and Mick Jagger, he sings it out, he, he howls it out. It's, uh, it's a good song and it has a very good message. The Lord indeed moves in mysterious ways. Anyway, this is the third and final parable in chapter 15. As I said, there's the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and our text, the parable of the lost son. Something gets lost, it goes astray, it's searched for, and then found, and then rejoiced over. So let's turn to our passage, verse 11. And there we find that a man has two sons. And the younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the share of my property that is coming to me. Give me my inheritance. Now, back then, as now, an inheritance is given when the parent has died, when they've passed away. What the son was asking for was... It was just incredibly hurtful incredibly insulting dad i want my inheritance yes son you shall have it when i am dead no dad i want it now by saying this the son knew that he was serving his relationship so he was severing his relationship with his father he was literally unsunning himself but but he didn't care he was in a sense saying dad I want your things more than I want a relationship with you. Your value to me is only in the goods and wealth that you can give me. So let's just skip to the chase, shall we? I want my inheritance. In Jewish law, upon the father's death, the younger son would receive a third of the state. And so the father responds to his youngest son's request and he allows him to make up his own choice, to use his free will. And so he lets him go his own way. Son, if, if you want to go, I will not stop you. Now, so far, this is a story about a death, the death of a relationship. And so verse 13, after gathering up his father's money and possessions, he sets off to a distant foreign land. He's young, he's wealthy, he's independent, and he has the world at his feet. He wants to be free from the care and the guidance of his father. He wants freedom, he wants liberty, independence. He wants to be subject to no one. He wants to be the Lord of his own life. So, free from restraint, he sets off, and there he squanders his wealth in reckless, wild living. Now, the word wild means to to be out of control. He leaves his father to be independent, in control of his own life. But he ends up out of control. He parties hard, living recklessly, lying with prostitutes. For a while, in his mind, things were great. There's no rules. There's no restrictions. He gets his desires. He gets them his way. That is, until verse 14, when he'd spent everything. Now, at this time, there was a great famine in the country, and he began to be in real need. So he went out and he hired himself to a citizen in the foreign land who sent him out into the field to feed pigs. Now, Leviticus 11.17 states that a Jew is to have no contact with a pig. To a Jew, a pig is repugnant. It's an unclean animal that will defile you. I'm trying to think of an example, really, but it is equivalent to us as, say, something like a dung beetle. It's disgusting. And yet here we he finds himself reduced to serving a pig. The pig was worth more than he was. In the eyes of the world, he had become worthless. By chasing the world, in the eyes of the world, he had become worthless. That's something for me, perhaps for us to consider, is that when we seek to go our own way, we're going Satan's way. And Satan will tempt us. You know, fish don't generally sort of tend to go out looking for hooks that they can jump on. There has to be some worm or some fly or something that tempts them, the fish, to bite. And Satan tempts us. And when we bite, he'll use us, abuse us, and dump us use us degrade us and dump us you can see it through history and you can see it now one of the reasons that the jews don't go near pigs was in order to remain distinctive from the rest of the world so to, to be god's people a, a separate nation a chosen nation god's people with distinct ways but see how far he drifted from his father his nation how far he drifted from god His false liberty, his self-reliance from his father had actually socially degraded him from the son of a large landowner to that of a destitute pig feeder. In Jewish society, you can't get any lower than that. You can imagine him saying to himself, look what I've become. Well, has anyone else been there? Has anyone else looked at the opportunities or the situations in their life that could have been? And are looking at themselves now and thinking, "What have I become?" Well, you are not alone. Verse sixteen, he longed to eat the pods that the pigs were eating the 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 pig swill. Now, this wasn't scraps of uh, old vegetables or leftovers, you know, from last night's Mexican or or a steak or whatever it is you eat. This that that's pig swill deluxe. Now, this was in the middle of a famine and the pigs were eating slops, but no one would give him anything. When the money ran out, so did his wild party friends. Their love, their their friendship for him, well, it evaporated. It was conditional on his cash. They didn't love him. They loved what they could get out of him. His father's love, however, was unconditional. His freedom had left him lonely desperate and degraded. He'd hit rock bottom. And it's at at that point, verse 17, when he came to himself, meaning he came to his senses. And hardship often has a powerful way of bringing us to our senses. As the prodigal son said, here I am dying of hunger, where my father's servants have plenty of food and, and food to spare. I will get up and go home. He clearly sees where his self-reliance has got him and heads back home to his father. But was this was this a real repentance? Or was it just sort of a survival tactic, a practical decision? I'm starving. My father has food. I'll go back and eat and be fed there. But as we read in verse 18, his remorse is genuine. He expressed sorrow not only for what he had lost, but for what he had done, that he'd failed to honor God by disdaining the fifth commandment, honoring your father and your mother. And so he has this this sort of speech he's going to say. He, He plans to say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. It's a real, genuine, heartfelt apology, a realization and a confession of his guilt. It's it's, it's a confession. There's, there's no attempt to find an excuse, a way out. Ah, oh, it wasn't my fault. No, this is genuine repentance. So he arose, he got back up, and he walked back to his father. And this is the turning point, the point of repentance, which in the Greek is metanoia. And it means to change his heart and his mind, to turn around, to have a change of heart and mind. He turned away from his sinful life, which brought him death, and turned back to his father, who would bring him life. So he rose up and set off. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Well, how did he see him? Because day after day after day, the father stood at his property, straining his eyes, hoping desperately that he would see the return of his son, his son who disowned him and squandered his wealth. The father had been mortally insulted by his son who was supposed to love and honor him. His son had broken his heart, squandered his wealth, which, by the way, would have lowered the father's place in society. So what did the father do when he saw the son coming? Did he stand on the balcony and look out and say, oh, look what the cat dragged in. This better be good. Or did he shout, I told you, you didn't listen to me. Look at you now. You are no son of mine. Get off my land before I set the dogs on you. Now it could have been worse. According to Jewish law, Deuteronomy 21, if someone has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey his father and mother, his father and mother shall take hold of him and bring him to the elders at the gate of his town. Bring him to the elders at the gate and stone him to death. Is that what the father does? No. Verse 20 the father felt compassion. He ran to his son and embraced him. He literally flung his arms around him. The father was impervious to the stench of the pig swill coming from the son, and he he kissed him. And the word kissed is in the present continuous tense, meaning he held him and kissed him again and again and again. It's an an ongoing love. Now, this would be unseeming for uh, a man to be running out. He would have to sort of pull up his robes and show his legs and run. It would be be embarrassing, but the father doesn't care. He doesn't give it a thought. He doesn't even wait for his son to give an apology, verse 21. The son only gets halfway through his I'm sorry speech. Father, I have sinned against heaven and earth, but the father's not listening. And verse 22, he shouts out to his servants, quickly, bring the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now the best robe and ring were a sign of position and standing. They conveyed authority. In his desti- destitution, the son went barefoot. But this was only fitting for, uh, for someone who was without home shoes marked him out to be a freeman the fattened calf was kept for a special occasion and was slaughtered for the homecoming of a wretched low-life pig-feeding selfish whoremongering, insulting wastrel prodigal son all of which was eradicated erased by the father's love and grace and this elevated his son and brought him back into the family. Now, excuse me, as we know, this text is a parable. It's a short story containing a lesson. The loving father is our father in heaven, and the wayward prodigal son is, well, me, and perhaps you, a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter. You are listening to The Kingdom and Its Stories. My name is Julian Gibb. And today we're blessed to be learning about God's word and the prodigal son and how that prodigal son, it turns out, is probably me and maybe it's you. Perhaps you've wandered away from God. Perhaps like the youngest son, you have left the father and gone out into his world to seek fulfillment and gratification shrugging off any form of outside control and sought independence and liberty you sought to find your heart's desires and fulfill your longings through the things of this world you you do you you sought to shake off god's guidance and his loving rule yet disappointingly frustratingly found out that this autonomy this liberty is a false liberty and it's more of a trap than a liberation That this desire of self-control has in fact left you out of control, leading a somewhat chaotic, confusing life. As Benjamin Franklin, one of the authors and signatories of the Declaration of Independence wrote, nothing brings more pain than too much pleasure. Nothing brings more bondage than too much liberty. Discard God and you will have liberty liberty that tramples you and leads you into bondage. It is God's freedom that gives true liberty. Unchained liberality leads to discontentment, bondage, and a sense of lostness, as we found out with the lost son. Bernard Levin, was an English, had to get an uh, English name in there, English journalist, author and broadcaster. Well, he wasn't a Christian, however, he wrote... Countries like ours are full of people who have all the material comforts they desire, together with such non-material blessings as a happy family, and yet lead lives of quiet and at times noisy desperation, understanding nothing but the fact that there's a hole inside of them, and that however much food and drink they pour into it, however many motor cars and television sets they stuff it with, However many well-balanced children and loyal friends they parade around the edges, it aches. Are you aching? Is there a hole in your life? Like the prodigal son, have you tried the ways of the world and yet found them fleeting, unsatisfying, corroding, empty? Are you exhausted in trying to find acceptance and self-esteem through the world? Then it is time to rise up and turn back to the Father. Turn back to Christ. It's time to go home. But perhaps you think you're unworthy. Perhaps you just I don't know, too guilty, too far gone. Well, you're right. But I have some good news for the repentant heart. Well, yes. I mean, perhaps I understand that. I understand that intellectually that, you know, people can be forgiven from their, their past sins. And maybe God can forgive others like Chris or, or Jeff or Linda, but can he forgive me? Yes, he can and he does. But Julian, you don't know the things that I've done, the things that I've thought or that I've said. I, I can't even forgive myself. Yes, you know, on the outside, I may look the part, but on the inside, I'm a stinking mess. I've sunk too low. I'm irredeemable. Yet the only person telling you that is Satan. The only one keeping the memory of your sin alive is you. It's finished. The blood of Christ has washed you clean. So come home. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Have you insulted God the Father? So did the youngest son. Have you lived recklessly, callously done bad things? So did the youngest son. And when he repented, when he turned back to the father, he was received, accepted, loved and celebrated. And so it is with you. When Jesus died on the cross, what did he say? He said, it is finished. And it's finished for you if you return to him. All that is holding and dragging you back. So my daughter and I were recently, we recently were in London. And we, when we were there, we were looking at the west door of Westminster Abbey. And there's a, a statue of a man named Maximilian Kolb. He's a Franciscan friar. And he provided shelter for about 2,000 refugee Jews who were fleeing the Holocaust. Well, he was eventually detained and thrown into Auschwitz, a Nazi concentration camp. And whilst there, three men escaped from the camp. And so in order to deter further escape attempts, the SS officer picked 10 men and sentenced them to death through starvation. One of those chosen broke down and cried out, my wife, my children. And so Kolb volunteered to die in his place. In this inspiring story, we learn how Kolb served Christ by dying in the place of an innocent man who didn't deserve death. I mean, it's it's immensely inspiring and a courageous act that challenges me to the core. Yet Christ died to save not the innocent, but the guilty, those who deserve punishment, those who were his enemies, me and you, Romans 5.10. For Jesus is the Lord who bends down and washes the feet of those who were to betray him. This is the Lord of the second chance, the Lord of the seventh chance, the 77th chance. This is the Lord who is calling you, calling his beloved wayward son, his beloved wayward daughter, to come away from the pig's will and to be clothed in his love. This is the Lord, the Father, who is calling you from out of the world to come home. As he promised himself in Matthew 28, I will never forsake you. I will always be with you until the end of the age. In fact, one final point. As history shows, converted prodigal sons and daughters are used by God in a profound way. Think of St. Paul. Before his repentance and conversion, he breathed out murderous threats against the church. He tracked down and dragged out Christian men and women from their homes and threw them into prison. Yet Christ transformed this wayward son into being one of the greatest men in world history. From violent persecutor to loving defender, God made the change and he can also do it for me and for you. There are many other examples that you can read of, prodigals like John Newton, the slave trade, uh, slave trader turned slave emancipator. You all know the, the he's the author of the hymn Amazing Grace. In America, here there's Dorothy Day, who, after fully embracing the liberated secular culture of the Roaring Twenties, having numerous love affairs and devastated by an abortion, wrote. I thought I was a free and emancipated young woman and I found out I wasn't at all. Christ called his wayward daughter home and she spent her life providing a voice for the outcast whilst nursing them materially and spiritually. And what of Dwight L. Moody, the American evangelist? As a youth, he could hardly have been called a saint. His supervisor wrote, I can truly say... That i have seen few persons whose minds were spiritually darker than his i've seldom met an applicant more unlikely to ever become a bible focused christian let alone be one who will be of any benefit or use to society the lost son returned home to christ and went out to preach to tens of thousands of people founding founding bible training institutes and launching rival campaigns throughout America and Europe, bringing many people to Christ. Christ died for Paul, Dorothy Day, and Moody, so that their lives could be transformed and turn around. And Christ died also for you. Converted prodigals are mighty and powerful. You are amongst good company. So I know for me, I know perhaps for you, that there is a passage home to Christ, The door is open. It is time to return home. God bless you as you seek to live out your week in the love of Jesus Christ, in the love of the Father.
1: Jesus defines discipleship as come and follow me. Next Monday at 5.30 p.m. on Faith Talk 1360, we'll hear another testimonial from a leader demonstrating how they and the people of the church are sacrificially loving the needy beginning to see real change in their communities. If you have a personal example of how you are being the hands and feet of Jesus with your neighbors, we'd love to hear from you. Enter your story at harvestfoundation.org. That's harvestfoundation.org on the Contact Us tab. You can also subscribe to the podcast on The Kingdom and Its Stories on Apple Podcasts and Spotify.